Welcome to Engage Arizona. I'm Kathy Herod. Today, we present the second part of the speech given by our CAP Family Dinner's keynote speaker, Tucker Carlson. Enjoy. Our religion is a religion of forgiveness. There's no grudge holding in Christianity. That's not allowed. We are the religion that forgives people, that cares about people, period. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's our religion. So if you're the religion of something like, well, it's okay to kill inconvenient people, that's just not Christianity. And so I cannot, it's really shocking for me to think that there are any so-called Christian churches in the United States that aren't on the barricades on this question. Every one of them should be. And not just the weird independent snake handler churches, not just the Catholic church, but every church, including my church, my former church, the Episcopal church. I mean, it's just kind of that simple. If we're for abortion, we are saying that we have the power to kill, to take human life, not defending ourselves just because we feel like it, and that we are willing to mistreat the weakest. And there's no clearer measure, by the way, of a person than what he does to someone who can't fight back and when no one's watching. I feel this way, by the way, not just about babies, but about dogs. You can kick your dog and he'll still love you. So the question is, do you? And if you find yourself doing that, you're not a good person. Sorry, you just answered that question, you're not. And the thing about abortion is you can do it. That's the thing, you can do it. And by the way, even when it was illegal, you could do it. And it happened a lot. It's been happening for all of history. And it's the one thing that God really doesn't like, by the way, judging from my reading of the Old Testament. He's against a lot of different stuff. But whenever they throw their kids in the fire, it says the thing that is abominable to God, that God really doesn't like. He doesn't want you to sacrifice your kids. That was singled out again and again. I'm no theologian, but just in my reading, whenever in the Old Testament, God's really mad, says this is a detestable thing. It's always one thing. It's sacrificing your children. Amen. Well, I just noticed that. And if I'm an Episcopalian and I can notice that, trust me, it's obvious. <laughs> so if you have a society where all of a sudden hurting the weakest people who can't fight back, who, by the way, are the next generation, the one thing you're here to do biologically is to produce more of you, in the ancient world and still in the rest of the sane world, that would be outside the West right now, but in the sane world to this day, your wealth is measured by your descendants. How many kids do you have? Have you been fruitful or not? And if we're in a place where the majority of our population is like, no, I don't want grandkids, and yes, I can kill them if they get in the way of my vacation, another week in St. Bart's is worth not having children, what? then you're in a very sick place that cannot be fixed by any law. It just can't be. And so how did you get here? Well, you got here in part, in my opinion, because people who knew better were too embarrassed to just say it clearly. This is wrong. This is disgusting. This is extinguishing a life. And no, I'm not going to be part of that. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to control your sex life. It's not for killing kids, okay? They didn't say that enough. But we also got here... We got to a place where politicians and NGOs and billionaires are pushing abortion, affirmatively pushing, not as a last resort, not safe, legal, and rare, but like, hey, you know what you should do? Why don't you have an abortion? We'll make it easy for you. You're an illegal alien. You're homeless. We'll pay for your abortion. Abortion is now a positive good in the minds of the people with the most power in our society. What is that? 
That's not, a, that's not a policy change. That's not policy at all. That's not politics. That's a religious right. That's what that is. That's a religious right. When the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, who last time I checked, doesn't really intersect with abortion policy. Do they, they do abortions over at Treasury? Do you guys know? I don't think they do. And yet Janet Yellen is out there saying, you know what you can do for the American economy? Have an abortion. That's not really politics, is it? That's a religious right. That is a group of people pushing human sacrifice on the country as every previous civilization has done. The most ancient of all rights is human sacrifice. Hand over innocent human life in exchange for power and safety. That's what they were doing in Canaan 3,000 years ago. That's what they're doing at Planned Parenthood now. That's what that is. And it is directly an attack on the Christian worldview. And if there's one message I could give to a room full of believing Christians is don't underestimate the degree to which you are targeted for your faith. And by the way, don't be surprised by it. I mean, if there's one thing a super quick read of the New Testament will convince you is that you are going to be punished for what you believe. Because Jesus just says it flat out. You're going to be punished for following me, period. My, one of my favorite sort of moments in the whole New Testament is Matthew 24 for many different reasons, but I'm sure you all are highly familiar with it, one of the most famous passages in the New Testament. Jesus coming out of the temple, the second temple with his disciples, and of course they're super impressed, they're all from the sticks, and this is like, you know, the greatest building in the Levant, it's the temple, and they're looking at it like, wow, this is incredible, and he's like, you know, every stone will be overturned soon, and of course he was right. That was in the early 30s, it happened in 70. Less than 40 years, he was right. Every stone was overturned. If you, I know many of you have been there and stood at one of you know, the foundation stone at the Western Wall. These are huge stones. So to tear down the temple, I mean, you really had to want to tear down the temple, and the Romans really did. So he said, it's all gonna be torn down. And they're looking at him like, well, how, you know, what's gonna happen? And he says, of course, in the famous line, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't worry, don't be afraid. Huh? Don't be afraid? No, don't be afraid. That's the first thing he says, don't be afraid. Why would he say that? There's nothing scarier than war. And even scarier than war itself is rumors of wars, which is where we're at the rumors of war stage right now. You think things are about to explode into conflagration, and every person in this room feels that way because you've got the internet. And there's nothing scarier than that because you don't know what its outlines are going to be. That's terrifying. And Jesus, the first thing he says is, don't let that concern you. So that's the first thing we learn from that passage is we are commanded to not be afraid. And by the way, why would we be? That's kind of the whole point, right? There's a power larger than any, any on this battlefield. So Christians, as they approach their persecution, should not be afraid. That just jumps out at me immediately. What's the second thing he says? He says, when that happens, and he goes on to say, you don't know when it's going to happen, by the way, and this is a message to all those people who are texting me about the end times, which I believe will come, but I don't think next Wednesday at 4.30, I don't think you know that. I'm sorry, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's pretty clear to me God is saying only God knows. In fact, I think Jesus says, even I don't know, only, only the Father knows. I think I'm quoting that correctly. Help me. Yes, I am. So we don't know, but we do know it's coming. And any effort to like get too specific about it does seem like, again, usurping the power of God, just my view. Um, 
But when that happens, you're going to have people out there giving you false teaching. And they are going to target you, he says, effectively. They're going to target you, my followers, and they're going to convince you of a lot of what they're saying, which is wrong, which is a lie, and you're going to fall for it. Whoa. So as things get more chaotic, people will approach you with what seems like the truth, but it will instead be a lie. The incidence of false prophethood, if that's a thing, will increase during this period of turmoil. So, if you're following this, the first thing that Jesus says, don't be afraid. The second thing he says is be discerning. Know the difference between the truth and a lie, and it's going to get harder to figure that out. And so the question is, and I think this is a relevant question for everybody here, is how do we know the difference, especially now? Because as he promises like four sentences later, people who follow him will be the focus of the attacks. And they're going to get hurt, period. He says that, and it's clearly true. And it turned out to be true, of course, for his followers, most of whom were killed. So how do you know the difference? Well, here's my view. First, I would say the incidence of falseness among people we should be looking to for guidance is rising in, you know, at a velocity I can barely believe. People I respected, who I thought I respected, whose opinions I trusted, have turned out to be completely unreliable because they are giving advice that's inconsistent with, it seems to me, uh, you know, the Bible that I'm reading. So the first thing we know is that Christians are cheerful, they love other people, they're brave, they're fearless, but their authenticity can be judged by their fruits. So if you are, you know, a Christian, then the people around you should be served. In other words, you should have a stable family life. If your wife doesn't love you, if your kids are in open rebellion against you, if your coworkers hate you, if the waitress is mad because you undertipped, you're not living the life that you're called to lead. I believe that. But the second thing is people who claim to be Christian leaders should be preaching messages consistent with Christianity, bringing peace. So when you see, and I, I hate to say it, I'm sure everyone in this room is going to hate me for saying this, but if you see people standing up over the last two weeks who claim to be Christian leaders who are pushing for collective punishment, for killing people who didn't do anything wrong because they're related to people who did, you can be pretty certain that's not a Christian message. I'm sorry, it's not. It's true. That is totally true. And I don't care what any government says, ours or any government. Christian leaders should not be calling for the killing of people who did nothing wrong. That is totally wrong. That is not a Christian message. And I see this with politicians all the time. Well, I believe in God, and that's why we need more cluster bombs. Really? What verse is that that you're quoting? <laughs> and I have to say, most Christians I know are pretty naive about politics. And they see something on TV or they read a statement from some government or other and they believe it's true. Well, there's a war going on in the Middle East and I, you know, I'm certainly on the Western side of that for sure. But I, I have to say the one group that I never hear from and I was so glad to hear them included in this evening's prayer were the Christians in the region. And there are quite a few of them. There are a lot of them actually. There are a lot of them. Does anyone ask what they think? Some of the oldest Christian communities in the world are in that region. What's their view? Has anyone even asked? Because I hear Christian leaders here 
speak for you know, Christians in the United States, this should be our view. Okay, well, there are Christians living right there. Why don't you call them and ask what they think? Why is that out of bounds? People are too afraid even to say that out loud. That's like considered totally outrageous. One of their churches just got hit with bombs three days ago. And no Christian leader in the United States that I'm aware of said one word about it because they're too afraid. Now, I mean, look, things happen like that in war. And I'm not blaming anybody, and I don't know the intent. No one's apologized for it, I know that. And no one's apologized because no Christian leader of the United States said, look, I understand, super complicated, I'm on your side, You're, you can't bomb a church. Because I'm a Christian, and I care about churches. Not one person said that. Now, it seems to me, if you're, as a Christian leader, unwilling to denounce the bombing of a church, am I missing something? I know everyone hates me right now. What am I missing? I, I, I must be missing something. Because it seems like there would be a reflexive outcry. Whoa, 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 whoa. We care about Christians, no matter where they are, whether they're in Armenia or in Ukraine, where a Christian denomination was just banned. No one said a word about it. Why, because our leaders in this country think it's cool? It's fine with them? Well, yeah, it's fine with them because they're against Christianity, including a lot of the ones who pretend not to be, including a lot of Republicans. Totally fine with that. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, call me autistic, but I'm not fine with that. I'm not fine with that at all. And if Christians in any country around the world, sincere Christians, are under attack or being persecuted, we should say something. Doesn't mean we should like take up arms or join some mercenary force to liberate them. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But just like abortion, just say out loud, despite how unfashionable it may be. Look, I don't know the complexities of the situation, and I'm sure you know, there are good reasons for everything, but as a general matter, I'm not for bombing churches, I'm not for shutting down Christian denominations. Why? Because I'm a Christian. Like, that's not hard. And when you say things like that, and people are like, oh, well, there's, there are lots of good reasons. I, I have friends who are Christians. Like, well, lots of good reasons for bombing a church. Really, what, what, what are they? Give me three good reasons for bombing a church. Well, it's, it's very complicated. Okay, well, can't we just say we're against bombing churches? No, can't say that. Okay, now we're into false prophet land, flat out. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not, again, I know no one in this room agrees with me, but I, I think what I'm saying is true. We have to say that out loud. Regardless of how it is seen in the moment, regardless of how the temporal authorities react, I'm not counseling civil disobedience or hurting anybody or even having a protest, but just saying it, just the words matter. Saying it out loud. Christians are being persecuted. We know what this is. It's a spiritual attack. It's happening all over the world. It's certainly happening here in the United States. Once again, that's what the abortion stuff is about. It's not about liberating women, obviously. It's what the trans stuff is about. It's not about helping gay kids not commit suicide. That's a lie. It's a spiritual attack. All of this is connected. And part of it is, the part that we don't see is the persecution of Christians around the world. And not just in the Middle East, and not just in Eastern Europe, but in Canada. And here in the United States. And I think as things get more intense, and they're going to get more intense, and I'm not being some kind of end-of-the-world guy, though I could easily become that. <laughs> but they are going to get more intense. Every person in this room can feel it. If you're over 50, you remember a world where people just kind of said, like, I'm a Christian, I go to church. You say that now? Even now. And I don't care, even if you live in like a nice part of Arizona, Prescott, Arizona, one of the great towns in the world, where I think there are plenty of reasonable people. Well, it's, it's a pretty great town. 
and I think there are tons of churches there and lots of Christian people, but even if you're like a dinner party in Prescott and you're like, well, I was in church or I was praying this morning, I got up early and said my prayers, people are like, freak. <laughs> I mean, that's true. You know that's true. And so, in res- and especially if you're higher income, especially if you're higher income, if you live in a high income zip code, man, that is, you know, you would much rather say, you know, one of my, my grandson has had a sex change, but I'm affirming him. That would be considered less weird than to admit that you woke up early to say your prayers. And I'm not even talking about speaking in tongues. I just mean like <laughs> normal, the, the glossolalia thing may be a little, bit, a little bit far, but even just conventional religious practice, Christian practice is considered disreputable and embarrassing. And I would say as on the church bombing and as on abortion, I'll speak for myself, it's hard even for me, who is paid to say what I think, to be completely honest about that stuff. Because you really feel the pressure from others to just shut up and go along. And now is not the time. And by the way, just to be completely clear, I'm not saying now is the time to get in arguments at dinner over religion. I am an Episcopalian. I'm still against that. I will always be against that. The point is not to make other people uncomfortable. The point is to tell the truth gently, in a way that people can hear, but fearlessly, but fearlessly. And nothing is more important than that. People are always saying, and I think this to myself all the time, clearly things are going sideways, don't wanna overstate it, but things are not, I mean, things are really moving in the wrong direction at a high speed and everyone can feel it. And when the economy goes, which is, you know, I hope I'm wrong, but could be fairly soon, things will become much more intense. And what can I do? What can you realistically do when you go to your electronic voting machine in November. (laughs) Not implying, I know know how it's illegal to question electronic voting machines. (laughs) It's hilarious. Don't question the electronic voting machines. By by the way, can I just one quick sidebar and I'll stop in just one second. if you want to know what the true things are, actually, this is just a great way. It's, it's sort of an, almost an inverse of, of Jesus' observation that you will you know, know a tree by its fruits. You, you will know uh, the truth by the reaction to it from the liars. So it's almost like, what is true? Well, I don't know. Let's, in your quiet moment, next time you have a pen and paper, write down the 18 things you aren't allowed to say. And those are the truest things. And that's why you're not allowed to say them. I mean, it's almost that simple. It's almost that simple. And by the way, I look, just since I cover politics, sort of, not really, but I watch politics, kind of, the politicians I, I tend to like are the ones where people are like, oh, that's, he's totally out of control. He's insurrectionist. The guy's like unarmed. <laughs> There's no such thing as an unarmed insurrectionist, by the way. I mean, it's like ridiculous. <laughs> it's like a scuba diver with no tanks. And like, There's no such thing. Um, but anyway... But whenever they call someone an insurrectionist, it's like, I know nothing about this person, but I'm voting for him because everyone hates him. He's setting off all the right smoke alarms. You know what I mean? Beep, 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 beep. There's something in the leftist brain that goes crazy at certain smells. And they can smell it. The things that threaten them are the true things. And so you should make a nonviolent, polite, cheerful habit every day of saying those things. And it's much easier for women to do this, I have learned. 
because everyone likes them, kind of, you know? <laughs> and women have a way of saying things that are like completely threatening, but in a non-threatening way. I think it has to do with having kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> take your fingers out of your nose. You know, no man can say, take your fingers out of your nose without offending somebody, but every mom has said that so many times. It's like not a big deal. Take your fingers out of your nose. Okay, mom. <laughs> so they're better at it. A woman is better at saying something shocking without, you know, disrupting the party or causing a fistfight. But all of us should learn, I think, and make a daily practice of telling the most difficult truths, once again, not for the purpose of making others uncomfortable, but for three other reasons. One, for the pure animal joy of telling the truth. I'm serious. For the pure animal joy. There is nothing more thrilling than saying something that is true. It's just, it's a pure delight. If you eat an entire box of chocolates, you get sick of it, but there's always one that has some sort of weird, hard-to-describe filling in it, and when it explodes in your mouth, you're like, yeah, that, that's the one. And that's the feeling you get when you tell the truth. And the second reason is, the more you tell the truth, the easier it becomes because the stronger you become. I quit drinking many years ago, not because I wound up in jail, though I was on my way, but um, because I had this amazing insight, which I think came from God, honestly, that drinking made me weak. And drinking is one of those things, paradoxically, that you, know, you, you drink to feel strong, liquid strength, you know what I mean? But the more I drank, the more afraid I became. And it struck me as a kind of metaphor for life. It's like the more you hide, the more scared you are. And the more you're out there facing things with no protection, you know, Jesus sends the disciples with like no staff and no food. Remember that? Like, why is he doing that? Just like head out into a world filled with bandits with no shoes on. Rots a ruck. But there's something so wonderful about that. Because as you do it, you realize it's not so scary. And then you become stronger. And I do think there is a supernatural element. I think you're filled with a supernatural power when you do that. And the third reason to tell the uncomfortable truths, not the easy truths, you can't become a woman. Okay, got it. But the real truths, abortion is, extinguishes life. It's the saddest thing there is. Killing your kids is awful. You're not going to have grandkids. And what every person over 50 wants is grandkids. You're not going to have them. Christians are being persecuted around the world. And I don't care what your justifications are. I'm against it. I don't care what stupid strategic explanation you have. Well, we needed to. They were harboring terrorists. No, you, 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 can't, you, you can't bomb churches. Let's just start there. Whatever it is that is true, but that literally nobody wants to hear, nobody, even your Christian friends, that's exactly what you should say. And if you do that, things will change. By your speaking, by your articulating those truths, you make them real. The difference between having a thought and saying it out loud is quantum. Articulating it. Say the name. Call it what it is. Put it into words. That is the unique gift that we as humans have. It's not the opposable thumb. Whoever made up the opposable thumb theory is an idiot. And actually, that was, an, that was a spiritual attack, in my opinion. It's an opposable thumb. The difference is mechanical. The difference is not mechanical between man and the animals. The difference is spiritual. It's not about your fingers. It's about your tongue. It's about language. 
It's about taking ideas, concepts, observations, and spiritual truths and being able to put them into words. Words are our unique gift as people. That's what God gave us. Use them. They are more powerful than any congressman. Thank you for enduring that. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Engage Arizona. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe and leave us a rating or review on your preferred podcast platform. Don't forget to share with family and friends. And if you would like to learn more, please visit our website at azpolicy.org.